Manchester City took control of the Premier League title race on Sunday as they crushed Everton and Arsenal collapsed to defeat at home to Brighton. That took Pep Guardiola's men another step closer to a glittering treble. But now they must find a way past one of the great European sides in recent history. The Champions League supercomputer that is Real Madrid. It's all on the line at the Etihad on Wednesday. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football only better. We're getting towards the end of the longest of seasons. My top tipping team is lasting the pace wonderfully. Mark O'Hare has been spending millions of pounds in energy costs to keep the bet cave running just so he can bring you the best wages. Mark, let's start with Manchester City against Real Madrid. City, the 1.64 favourites on the exchange to win in 90 minutes. 1.38 just to qualify. But the first leg I thought was very even, thought there was an element of cat and mouse to it. And the Etihad's not a scary place to go in terms of the intimidation factor. It's just the fact City are very, very good at home. They're very, very good at home. They're also very, very confident at home as well. Um, I agree to, to the most part really about the first leg. I thought it was a thoroughly kind of absorbing, entertaining, high-class football match without being hugely open with huge amounts of sort of high-quality opportunities either. It was a great advert for sort of high-class Champions League knockout football. Um, I thought both teams played pretty well in the most part. Um, two incredible strikes, you know, both goals you could watch on repeat and, and not get bored for quite some time. But um, I thought it was intent from both teams, but also kind of pragmatism and respect, really, not to overcommit, not to be drawn into something silly or drawn something drawn out into something outside of your control. So you're left chasing the second leg. And I think both teams would probably be quite happy with the outcome, really. City will be very confident about going back to the Etihad because their record there is incredibly dominant. If you just look at uh, the Champions League, you know, you just ignore the Premier League altogether. But over their last 26 Champions League home ties, they've won 23. And you look at the calibre of teams they've beaten in that sequence, twice Real Madrid, twice PSG, Bayern Munich, Dortmund twice, Atletico, Leipzig. They've beaten all the big guns. They've beaten the highest rated sides in Europe at the Etihad. And they've done it quite impressively as well. Now, I know Real Madrid have pulled off some miracles in the last couple of years and we always say just can't write off Real Madrid because they continue to pull them out of the bag but um, they're not chasing here and I think this tie is a little bit different because the match isn't taking place at the Bernabeu which has been kind of st the, the stadium for, for those big turnarounds particularly against City and PSG they can't rely on that stadium sort of whipping up a frenzy in the last 20 minutes when there is an opportunity for them to sort of turn things around so uh, I get what you say about the atmosphere, but I just think if you look at City at the Etihad, um, I mean, Jack Grealish said it himself, didn't he, after the match last week? He said, we we feel unstoppable at the Etihad. And, you know, City are incredibly confident when they're in that sort of mood. And if you look at last week's game, I actually thought they started superbly in Madrid, dominant on the ball, carved out a good few opportunities. They might not have been clear cut, but they tested yeah. Courtois anyway. Um, and actually the goal from Vinny, Changed the pattern of the game, changed the complexion of the match because at the mo at that before that time, City were in complete control, really. So, um, yeah, I, I would be pro City, but it's very difficult to support them and be kind of sort of 
yeah, see City sub 1.7 home to Real Madrid. It doesn't make you feel excited. You know, you would be, yeah, it's, it's not for me, put it that way. Um, so I looked at all the major markets. It's difficult. I think if you are, if you are going to side with City, you have to sort of engineer something, chuck it in alongside over one and a half goals, perhaps, but that's only eight to 11 on the sports book. So not for me, actually. So I've gone elsewhere, really, uh, in this match because we picked out Vinicius Jr. as a, a guy to watch last week, 11 to 4 to score. Stinch had him to score or assist. Um, he's 3 to 1 to net this week. Uh, big price again. But I think actually going towards where Stinch was last week was the 7 to 5, 2.4 in decimals that he could score or assist in this match is well worth a look because he's now been directly involved in 12 goals and 11 Champions League appearances this season. Seven goals, five assists. He's also leading the competition for for open play sequences that end in goals and shots. That's uh, opta terminology for effectively creating opportunities in open play. Um, he's also just one of the most decisive and influential players in the, in the world game right now. And if you look at his more recent record, his last 13 starts around Madrid across all competitions, this bet has landed in 12 of those 13 games, which is incredible, really. Um, Go back the last 24 matches, it's landed in 17 of those fixtures as well. He will continue to be an enormous threat for, Man for, for Real Madrid here, even if Man City take the lead. So that's an angle I was looking at. But also, uh, you can get 2.58 on the bet builder for Vinicius to have two or more shots and Danny Carvajal to commit two or more fouls. Don't need any more sort of explanation on Vinny, but... Um, you know, if, if Real Madrid are trailing, you expect him to, to come to the party. Rodrigo is 1.3 for two or more shots. Benzema is unbackably short and Vinny is 1.5 for two or more shots. So I think that's kind of an unfair price compared to his ability. But as for Carvajal, probably doesn't need a huge amount of analysis after the first leg up against Jack Grealish. Miracle he wasn't carded. Um, Real Madrid clearly... Uh, attacked Grealish from the off. They saw that as an opportunity to try and rile him up. And uh, yeah, I expect some, something similar this time around. Um, I think Grealish is always quite happy to sort of uh, mix it himself as well. So perhaps there's an opportunity there. But um, yeah, there's going to be loads of opportunities if you want to get involved with fouls or cards. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the angle I was taking. There was some delightful needle last week, wasn't there, between Carvajal and Grealish. Very much enjoyed that. Uh, odds compiler and maths genius Mark Stinchcombe once again part of the squad. Stinch, there were some really interesting personal battles, I thought, last week. We had Rudiger did a really good job on Haaland. He was proper pumped up, <laughs> Rudiger, uh, for that one. Mark has already mentioned that battle between Carvajal and Grealish. What are the key battles here for you and which way do you see the game going in general? Yeah, I think uh, Walker v Vinicius again. Walker, I think Walker end up with four or five or so, maybe even six tackles. It was in the end. Um, yeah, he managed to. I really enjoyed that little kind of high ten they had at the end. They were both smiling at each other. That was that was what a really nice moment. I thought at the end of that. A nice moment, but for me, I also thought, come on, lads, this Champions League semi-final. Surely you both want to get into the final. It's not a friendly. It's not a. Yeah, but once you've done it, once you've played the 90, they weren't doing it during the game. I think there was an acceptance that they both, you know, had a good battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair play. I think they were both, they're both, at, they were both at the top of, top of their games. So, uh, fair, fair enough yeah. for the, for the mutual respect. But, uh, yeah, I think we want to see a bit more feistiness, uh, like, like, like Carvajal on, on Grealish. In terms of, <laughs> we've got an insight into the kind of manager Stitch would be, I think, here. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't say any of that nonsense. I I uh, criticise him, but I probably would be I probably would be quite Mourinho esque. I'd be like, it's fine margins, fine margins. Let's just let's just get one nil yeah. and sit back for 180 <laughs> minutes. Um, 
yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was thinking in my head how I would price this up before before I looked at the odds, and I had City in my head around about eight to thirteen. And if you look on the sports book, they're just a touch shorter, uh, uh, six to ten, uh, a little bit bigger than four to seven. So, yeah, I mean, we 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 we've lauded City a lot. We we spoke about them a lot last week, but we you know we also. Um, made sure that we praise Madrid for for their continued success and yeah I'd say I think that's well reflected in the odds I mean yeah it's not often Real Madrid are going to be four to one to to win a, a game of Champions League football um, but yeah they are coming up against the the greatest team on the planet will will Pep again do something different I think that's the the big question mark for me and obviously we won't know until the till the lineups come out so yeah I was just going to go for a rinse and repeat really a backed Walker two plus fouls last week he um he only made one in the end but as I say it was a uh, as we've already covered, it was it was a good battle. Um, so I'm going to go down the same route again, but I'm also just going to throw in a Carver Howe to commit two fouls. So Carver Howe two fouls, Walker one fouls comes out just shy of evens. Um, obviously, we saw what happened last week. Carver Howe committed four fouls, Walker committed one, and yeah, Grealish, as we know, is uh, does is on the receiving end of a lot of fouls. Two point six three fouls yeah. per game across Premier League and Champions. League. Champions League this season and Vinicius 3.5 fouls per game so as Mark mentioned it did seem as though Madrid <clears throat> targeted Grealish as someone that they could get at and maybe unsettle and um, yeah I mean there's a reason that Grealish is a hundred million pound player and, and Pep Guardiola has seemingly trusted him uh, especially in, especially yeah. since the World Cup I would say so um, he might not get the same numbers as the likes of Haaland in terms of goals or Foden or Mares in terms of goals uh, or in terms of assists as De Bruyne but if you look at the sort of little the little um, numbers you know like you know touches in the box or uh, dribbles successful dribbles and the fact that he just you know almost needs to be man marked at times uh, means that yeah I think um, he is he is a big part of what City are doing this season and uh, yeah I hope they don't win the treble but it, it it's it's becoming uh, ever ever closer with the the, the uh, results in the Premier League at the weekend. Yeah, they're certainly closing in. Trader, tipster and renowned Johnny Logan tribute act Emmett O'Keefe completes the set. You should hear his What's Another Year. It's really quite something. Uh, Emmett, this is a really intriguing clash. If you look at the weekend, Real were able to kind of sleepwalk through the Hitafe game. They didn't have to put too much into that, of course. But City had a much more meaningful game against Everton, played exceptionally well uh, in that game. Does that make any difference here or are the squads so strong that it doesn't really make much difference? Um, I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's probably slightly more advantageous to, to Real, I feel like, just to have to have kind of a meaningful game. And like despite the three 0 scoreline, Everton actually won the XG against 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 City. I think that was probably maybe a trickier game than the the bare scoreline suggested. I was actually really impressed with Everton and ultimately losing to the quality. There's no shame in losing to the quality goals that that kind of City produced. That gun to gun goal, especially, it was real kind of a Burkamp esque. Really, really special. He was outrageously good, wasn't he? A- absolutely. I think it's that's the one thing that Guardiola does really well as well. I think is that like. He knows the importance of having that kind of third man in midfield, making those unpredictable runs that are hard to track. And I think Gundogan's done that so well. In, 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 he's been a key part of City's success in that regard in the, la- in the last few seasons. But coming into this game, I'd agree with Mark O'Hare and that like I, I wouldn't have much enthusiasm about City at their current price. Like 
I think you can make an argument that Madrid have had kind of a relatively easy draw this season coming through against kind of a flawed Liverpool team and a car crash club in Chelsea. But I think there's something really special about this Real team. As as I think Sid Lowe said, the, the, the great Spanish football writer, they're capable, I think, of producing the best 15 minutes of any team in the tournament. And I thought we saw that kind of just before half time, even before Vinicius scored, I thought they'd started to kind of get their one twos going a bit. And I I, I, I I thought that goal was kind of coming a bit. And I think what I like I like about Real so much is that even though City the the better that half the first half hour, they were on top. But when Real felt feel the momentum turning and they feel like they're on top, they actually really press and they kind of they're they're capable of playing kind of very adaptable football depending on the moment compared to the most teams in Europe who are kind of playing playing kind of a similar way throughout the match. Um and like in the second half of that game in the Bernabeu, I thought really Real really dominated the game. Like they 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 they, they won the shot count twelve to four. I think City were playing a really kind of I would describe it as kind of defensive possession, where they're kind of keeping the ball for to, just to keep it and to deny Real counterattacks without actually creating anything. Like they last last week, City had a point three three seven expected goals in the match. I'd hazard to say that's one of probably the lowest figures of Pep Guardiola's management career, and I'd, I'd say that's really reflective of how defensive City's game plan was. I think just inevitably City will have to be more aggressive at home and that will leave opportunities for Real Madrid. And I have to say Vinicius Jr. last week, he looks like to me a really serious contender to take the title as the best player in the world. I think he's an incredible talent and I, 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 I don't think whatever City do, I don't think, I don't, I don't think that there's only so much you can do to really contain him, even though Kyle Walker played well, but Vinicius still scored an incredible goal and, and I think and, and still produced some yeah. excellent moments. Also, Walker does seem to have really responded, Emmett, doesn't he, to Pep Guardiola publicly saying the other week, Kyle can't play this system yes. we're playing. He's not capable of it. And he went, right, I'll show you. And he's been great the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's interesting that, like, I think that hybrid system that Real, that City play, where maybe, maybe Walker can't, he isn't as progressive a passer as kind of John Stones and Aki, and he's not. But like that's in maybe ninety or ninety five percent of the games City play. This is the game where they need Walker. Do you know what I mean? That like is in like is in Stones and Aki against Vinicius won't cut it. You need a player of of, of Walker's defensive ability and atle- and, uh, and and athleticism. And Walker did, did as well as well as you can against Vinicius last week for sure. Another thing that I think points me towards Real here is that they've produced some really notable away performances this year. Like Liverpool, for all their faults, only lost once in the league at Anfield. Real beat them 5-2. Like uh, in the Copa del Rey second leg when they were 1-0 down from the first leg, they beat Barcelona 4-0 at the new Camp. Yeah. I think I think City are definitely the more likely team to reach the final. We know how good they are. But I think Real are, I think Real's chances are being un- underestimated by their to qualify price of 3.6. I think I, I think this Real team are a special team who are be, who are kind of who defy the numbers and 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 defy logic in many ways. But I think they're I think they're a really dangerous team. And I, I just also on Real, if I just the difference I think at the moment, Erling Haaland for all his his strengths, and we saw him play maybe a kind of a complete game against Arsenal in the Premier League where he's playing kind of a false nine. But he can't do what Karen Benzema does in the sense of come deep and be that kind of attack starter. I think that's one thing really in Real's favour is that they have, no matter how things are going, Vinicius and Benzema will take the ball under pressure and get Real out of trouble and, and, and kind of and be a, th- a threat throughout. So I think City the more likely to qualify, but 
I think Real are worth worth a small bet. I think they'll cause City a lot of problems. I can see this being a really close tie. Another thing to mention, I think, about this tie was it's probably in Real's favour, is that City have a big end edge in terms of the quality of bench options with Phil Foden, Rian Mares, and Julian Alvarez compared to, say, Marco Asensio for Real. But actually, the thing about that is that City won't actually use that advantage as Pep Guardiola this season has been really reluctant to make substitutions. Only Everton sort have of made less substitutions in the Premier League this season. And it's fair to say, I think Everton's managers don't quite have the the, the kind of the galaxy of talent on the bench that 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 kind of Real Madrid do. But uh, having said that, I think that will be a factor if it goes to extra time. So I would, I think that is, I think Real might need to get it done in normal time. But I think City City are probably the better the better quality of options with the, with the five subs. In terms of kind of a bet builder, I think it was very noticeable how low a block Real kind of sat in throughout the game. I think that. Their their tactics are to kind of don't let Haaland in behind at all costs. I think that's I think that's the right strategy to employ as well. I think that's what we'll see that again, and that's partly why we saw Kevin De Bruyne had three shots on target from outside the box, and Rodri had one as well as having another shot from outside the box. And then just I, I like I like the angle for a bet builder. Rodri's actually averaging nearly a shot on target every two matches in the league. He scored an incredible goal against Bayern from distance, so I don't think he'll be shy. Yeah. So I thought three to one on both of those to have a shot on target looked look, looked fair. I think given what's likely to be the, the approach from Real Madrid here. We've heard lots of angles for a potential bet builder, and it's worth bearing in mind that if you place a five pound bet builder on Manchester City against Real Madrid. You get a £5 free bet to use on bet builders, T's and C's, in the description, 18+, see gambleaware.org. Going back to Tuesday then, look, we can time travel in this show, it's wonderful. Um, We can uh, look at the earlier game for this week, which is the Milan derby. We saw last week that Milan uh, underperformed really against an Inter team that was excellent in the opening exchanges. Inter getting a 2-0 win, probably could have won it by more. Stinch, how did Milan turn this around? Because I know Rafael Liao being out was a big factor. I understand that completely, but I thought Milan was surprisingly poor. And Milan were awful, in, the, in my opinion. I yeah. think 2-0 defeat was a good result. I think could have been, could or should have been at least three or four goals. I mean, you could have got a, I don't know, you could have got three or four buses through that Milan defence for Mkhitaryan's goal. Just absolutely woeful. Um, and then, you know, I was really disappointed with, um, you know, Junior Messias. He, he was in a very good position to, to have, um, scored or at least, you know, really troubled, uh, Onana in goal and then the effort, his effort was, was poor. Uh, yeah, I think Milan were, were rubbish and that is probably the result of being without Liao. We look at him this season, uh, when he plays Milan with 58% of matches with him, 21 of 36. And without him, they've won just one of 12 and in 11 of those games, they only scored six goals. So he's just absolutely massive for them. He's expected to be back. Um, so I think, I don't know whether Milan can turn it around, but Inter, I think Inter are incredibly short here. They're 21 to 20 to win the game when they can, they don't need to win. They can lose by a single goal and still make the final. Like the, the motivation factor isn't there. And it feels like, you know, Inter were 11 to 8 in the same ground last week at 0-0. Don't really understand how they can be a shorter price. Okay, there you could argue they've got home advantage, but you know what is home advantage when it's the same ground? I think 
Well, they'll have more of their fans yes, in yes, the so stadium, won't they? I'm, but that's the only change. Yeah, and I'm not sure it's really enough to suggest that they should move from 11 to 8 to 21 to 20, coupled with the fact they don't actually need to win. So I think the the bet here is uh, Milan to avoid defeat. Don't get me wrong, I don't th- I don't think they're any good. Uh, I'm not sure they will be any good. But uh, you know, it's all about price at the end of the day. So I would, yeah, I would be taking uh, Milan plus a half at. Uh, at around about 1.87 just because yeah I, I don't I don't really agree with um, backing teams that don't need to win and we had a nice uh, 5 to 1 winner last week on this match with Lataro Martinez Halanoglu and Sandro Tonali all committing two or more fouls. The same bet is four to one this week. It's obviously a unit sh- shorter, but uh, I think it's still worth maybe jumping on when we when we kind of think that maybe a second leg, um, when everything is on the line. You know, there's no there's no second chances. Yeah. That arguably, I think that means the foul count will increase. So I think you could uh, back that again for a bit of interest as well. Yeah, Emmett, we were quite positive about Inter, I think, in general last week because you look at what they've done in cup competitions under uh, Simone Inzaghi. They won the Coppa Italia last season. They're in the final again this season. They've obviously had this brilliant run in the Champions League this season. If you look at what they've done to Milan in general, last season they knocked about the Coppa Italia. This season they beat them in the Super Coppa. I know it's not the biggest game. I know it was in Saudi, which is weird, but there we go. Um, that's an argument for another show. However, that's all going to be in Milan's heads, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. It's like it's also just that Inter are a lot better than their league performance suggests. Like that we have one team, I think AC Milan are a decent team that are really underperformed to make it. Whereas despite their league position, Inter's XG and under underlying numbers are basically the same as Napoli. Like I think, Inter, I think Inter. Not quite a sleeping giant, but but not far off. Like when you look across that team, when he's fit, they've Screeny Arm Bastoni at the back. Like that's a see, they're serious talent. Demarco and Dumfries at wing back. I think I think are is a, is, is a really potent pairing. I don't know uh, like uh, JB might not like this, but if you just if you just it just shows you the importance. I think of the compare say Tottenham's wing backs and the lack of potency from those positions compared to Inter. I think that's that's what you need at the wing back positions. They're the really kind of menacing, pacey attacking wing backs, and Inter really have that. I'll I'll add to the fact that Latora Martinez is coming into some of his best form, and I think they, and they've kind of got they've got really good options. Like if you're a centre half, I'm having had a hard the AC Milan centre half is having had a hard sixty or seventy minutes. The last thing you want to see is Romelu Lukaku coming home. He's actually playing well, like he is now. So I think that, I think I think Milan are a very dangerous team. Inter Milan are a very dangerous team, and they showed enough last week. That I think they'll be competitive in the final, even if they're playing Man City. I I, I, I don't think they're 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 kind of a totally forlorn hope. Um, Stinch kind of outlined the, the difference that uh, Leo makes to AC Milan. They looked more of a conference league team last week than a Champions League team with with the uh, without Leo. They looked total. The lack of quality, the lack of quality was, I think, the difference in quality between the sides was really, really stark. And not quite ideal preparation for Milan this this weekend to be losing to Spezia and getting kind of a long lecture from the Milan ultras. Um, I. I know the game state might kind of favour Milan, but I, I still I, I find it hard to be enthusiastic about them or or or, or any, any of the or any any of the kind of sides in the match betting. The angle I liked again for kind of a bet builder was Tamori to have two plus fouls at three point two. This bet won in the first leg. I think that's the game state 
with Mel having to kind of push push for goals will mean that he'll have to press and, and tightly mark Latoura Martinez, who's one of the most foul strikers in Serie A. Unlike as well, with a centre half, usually like Tamori, he'll almost certainly play the 90 minutes. So compare that to if you're backing kind of a midfielder or kind of a, a wide forward, they're, they're less likely to play the full 90, which is also in his favour. So I thought that was slightly big given the opposition. Yeah, Mark, if you look at Fikayo Tamori that Emmett's just mentioned, I, I like him very much. He's gone out to Italy. He's made a real effort to integrate. He's learned Italian. I thought he played ever so well in the back end of their push for the Scudetto last season. But in some of these big Champions League games, he has come up short, and he definitely came up short last week. thought Simon Kier alongside him looked awful as well. And you've got Pierre Kalulu on the bench there, who was brilliant alongside Tamori at the back end of last season. Must be thinking, what do I have to do to get in this team? Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going to say, I mean, Tamori didn't play well last week uh, at all, but Kier was utterly atrocious. Um, and, you know, he's getting on a little bit. He's never had the, the quickest turn of foot, but it wasn't just uh, his speed last week that was exposed. It was his positioning. And, you know, he's supposed to be the, the big sort of orchestrator, the leader from the back. And uh, I think he was massively exposed. And, I, yeah, I agree. I was surprised that Kalulu's not been getting a look in in the bigger games that matter, really. And it was quite, you know, obvious, really, when Kier was hooked early on in the second half because he was just appalling, really. So, yeah, that, that's been an issue for Milan. But, um yeah, I don't really care what happened at the weekend against Spezia. It's not really something that matters. Um, I think Pioli admitted after the match over, you know, they're running out of chances to have a, a positive season, which would be very disappointing after what they achieved last year. And the ultras, it, it was quite calm that the dealings with the players, they were actually saying they're actually very supportive of them and, and trying to urge them on and believe in themselves a bit more. And I think it was quite telling, actually, that thousands of Fans basically turned up at the training ground in support of the Milan team on Sunday to say, you know, we still believe in you and there is an opportunity here if you believe in yourselves. But I think Milan's opportunity, it all rests on Rafael Leao's availability for this midweek. If he's not available from the off, then, you know, they looked really lost in forward areas without him. And uh, with him, they are a different team. But how fit is he? That's the big question. Uh, I suspect he'll play. And I do think it will give Milan a, a great opportunity to to make this a bit of a tie. Um, but... Um, Ultimately, Inter are going through a great moment at the minute. Seven wins on the spin. They're scoring goals and looking threatening. Pretty much got a full squad available by Skriniar. Uh, as the guys have mentioned, the, the options off options off the bench, you know, it's Lukaku and Brozovic compared to what Milan were able to field last week, which is, you know, chalk and cheese, really. And um, I think what's quite interesting about Inter is they had that rough patch through the winter and early spring. There was a lot of analysis as, as to what was going wrong. There wasn't a huge amount that was going wrong. They were just conceding stupid goals. They were pretty sloppy away at poor teams. And they're just missing chances. And now you look at the front four, um, they're all scoring goals, whether they're starting or contributing off the bench. You look at the midfield, Mkhitaryan last week, Chalinoglu, Barella's always capable. And one of the more understated players from left wing back, Federico De Marco, had a fantastic game and he's been exceptional. A real menace. He's come on leaps and bounds, isn't he? Oh, he's a totally different player. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a great, he's a real joy to watch now. Um, and, you know, he's assisting goals, he's creating goals. He's, he's been brilliant. And uh, look, Inter are capable of, of shutting this game out. Of course they are. They've kept five clean sheets and six knockout ties. But I was looking at the prices and the markets and I was surprised over two and a half goals is 2.18. I was surprised that both teams to score is 1.94 on the exchange. Um, I don't think Milan 
sort of leave anything out on the field on Tuesday night. I think there's going to be an opportunity for a high goals total in this match. Um, if you don't think of Inter in the last round, they won 2-0 in Lisbon against Benfica. A, a great result, came back to San Siro and played out a, a bonkers 3-0 draw. Um, eight of the last 10 Champions League semi-final second legs have featured over two and a half goals. Uh, a lot of them going in sort of very different sort of uh, uh, game states going into that second leg. And actually last week, there was a, an XG output of 2.87, 29 shots, 18 from inside the penalty area. It was much more open than I anticipated. And I know the early goals changed the complexion of that match completely and entirely. But uh, I think Milan will be much more threatening with Liao playing. And I think Inter will really enjoy playing on the counter-attack in the, and in those transitions as well. So I think both teams... Will contribute. Eight of the last 12 derbies have featured over two and a half goals. Uh, Milan have failed to score in the last three against Inter this season, all of which ended in defeat. But they've never failed to score in four successive matches against Inter. So I expect them to get on the score sheet in this game. And I think we could have a, a bit of a, a decent, entertaining game. And the beauty of taking overs over BTTS is, you know, if Milan do go chasing, get caught out, or if Inter score early and the, the highs, the ties dead early doors, it wouldn't be a huge, you know, it's not implausible to see Inter winning this match 3-0 either. So kind of keeps both on your side. But um, Clement Turpan is the referee here. Um, dreadful referee. Uh, loves the limelight. Um, if you're looking at him in Ligue 1, he's traditionally very low card in terms of what he does because he just can't be bothered to get his cards out half the time. But in Europe, he's got the tendency to try and... How just... many bets has he ruined of yours, Mark? Because None. you seem quite angry about Clermont to a pair. Not many because uh, you just know whether, you know to go unders or just leave it alone when he's involved in, in Ligue 1. So, yeah, I've learned the lesson many years ago. But in Europe, he's he likes to make it all about himself. Um, his last five European appearances, uh, Champions League and the Europa League this year, he's given five penalties and a red card. If you look at his penalties record across his career on the continent, it's around one in two. Um, but obviously wow. it's already factored in. It's about 15 to eight for a penalty to be awarded in this match, which is uh, not not really appealing to me. So anyway. That's mega short, is yeah, 15 yeah. to eight for a penalty? Yeah, well, I guess with <laughs> VAR involved as well, you're never going to get meaty prices in that market these days. But the... I was going to kind of follow what the guys have done in terms of the fouls market, but I've got a different way of thinking. Um, I thought two players who really were at it last week, tremendous fun watching them kind of uh, duel. Um, and two players who can get drawn into it, a bit of head-to-head -head nonsense, a bit of rivalry. And it's almost three to one on Denzel Dumfries and Teo Hernandez to commit two or more fouls each. 3.95. Uh, it banked pretty comfortably last week and if you saw the first two minutes Teo flying in should have probably been carded in the first two minutes got away with it but um, yeah they are at it from the start really and I think if Liao starts even better because Dumfries will have a, a real job to kind of try and contain him and if if Liao does start it will leave Teo a little bit more exposed than if say Salah Makas was playing in front of him so you know Teo is happy to be cynical happy to kind of give what's required on a football field to get a result but he's also Milan's most foul player uh, and also leads the way for his team in terms of tackles too so uh, two feisty players who know how to sort of handle themselves I think they had a, a great ding-dong battle between them last week and I expect something similar again. Jose Mourinho. Oh, sorry, Stinch, go on. I was just going to say, you're talking about uh, 15 to 8 for a penalty to be awarded if you think that's a bit short and, you know, you fancy backing uh, some penalties based on uh, what Mark said there. You can back both teams to score a penalty at a whopping 28 to 1, which seems a lot wow. more fun than 15 to 8. Yeah, that's certainly one to keep an eye on. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the half-time break. Time for a breather, a reset. 
keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important half-time break. Or deposit limits, to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18plusbegambleaware.org Jose Mourinho still on track to win major European trophies with Roma in back-to-back seasons. The Capital Club take a 1-0 first leg lead to Germany to take on Bayer Leverkusen. Emmett, will this be a classic Mourinho triumph, make the game horrible to watch? Or do Bayer have the firepower to turn things their way? Because I guess the one thing Mourinho won't want is those transitional moments where Bayer really come alive. Absolutely, yeah. I think like Bayer have the kind of the more have a lot of potent attacking weapons with kind of Frimpong, Diaby, Verts, etc. I think, I, 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 I and like you said, there I, I had in my notes written down very much a traditional Mourinho approach, re, re, really cynical, sit back and kind of. I, th- I think we saw Roma get kind of four, four cards in the second in the second half last week, and I'd I'd probably expect something similar, something similar, if not more. I find it hard to find a bet here. I think the prices are fair. I, th- I can see again that th- this kind of can tie that could potentially go, go to extra time. I think it's it's very kind of finely poised. We don't have price out yet, though. But I would I would have a look at Ibanez and Spinazzola in the car markets. They're kind of they're up against that kind of really potent right side of Leverkusen's attack with, with Frimpong Diaby, both recorded in the first leg, and I think I'd expect. Roma to employ some kind of similarly cynical tactics to to stop kind of that stop Leverkusen's right flank. Yeah, Ibanez as well. I always think it's an accident waiting to happen. Total ownership, yeah. In general. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark, a bit of violence for you as well. Which way do we go with this? Yeah, I I agree with Emmett. It's very difficult to split where the market is right now. I thought Leverkusen were a little bit unlucky to lose that first leg, actually. I thought it was a quite... Started well, didn't they? They did really well. Um, It was a tight match overall, but it was much feistier and much nigglier than I expected it to be. 30 fouls in total, which is a really high tally, actually. And Michael Oliver did lose patience a little bit, didn't he? Um, Dishing out seven cards. And you know both sides are able to handle themselves, so I wouldn't be too surprised to see something similar. On Thursday, um, in terms of the actual sort of 1x2, um, I'd probably side with Leverkusen, actually, in fairness. I do give them a slight edge because at the Bay Arena, under Jabi Alonso, they tend to come to the party in the big matches that matter. Um, I remember them absolutely smashing Union back in November. They've beaten both Bayern and Leipzig here in March and April. So uh, a team with with Wurtz and, and Diaby and those wing-backs of Hincapé and, and Frimpong, I love the destroyers in the midfield as well. The only issue I always have with backing Leverkusen in these kind of fixtures is do they have the player in the forward areas to be clinical enough without Patrick Schick? And um, I'm not sure there's a guy there to lead the line to to do that job. Obviously, Diaby's been, Diaby and Wurtz have been superb, but um, that's my only concern really. Uh, and look, I don't, I've not been convinced of Roma all season and had to play Cristante at centre half. Last week, because of injuries, Dybala was only good enough for 15 minutes. Uh, Belotti's move hasn't really worked out. I think they're gettable, and I think their temperament is, is quite questionable too. And their away performances in Europe have been very iffy for a, a while now. One win in eight. They failed to score in their last three on the road in Europe. A 1-0 defeat at Salzburg, a 0-0 at Real Sociedad, and a 1-0 loss at Feyenoord. So I think there's every chance that Leverkusen can turn this around. 2.52 to qualify, actually, which I thought was... a uh, appealing enough but um yeah there's no prices but i'll be following a similar line really i'd be looking at robert andrick to commit two or more fouls and, and musa diaby to have two or more shots he's uh he's had two or more shots in 14 of his last 16 games uh he will bring 
the noise, if you like, in, in forward areas for Leverkusen likes to get shots away. And Andrix committed two or more fouls in five of his six Europa League outings already. Bit of a card magnet, will get stuck in. Uh, and if Roma do play on the counter-attack, I think he'll have his hands full to to keep them uh, keep them at, at bay, if you like. Uh, and Fringpong is another one. He's had a shot in 16 of his last 17 games, uh, which is man- mental for a right wing-back. But um, Well, he's yeah. just a winger, isn't he, really? Yeah. I mean, they dress him up as a wing-back, but he's not really, is he? Tremendous player. Like, it's a shame this Leverkusen team, Leverkusen team will be broken up in the summer, but it's very hard to see the likes of Fringpong and, and Diaby being there next season. Yeah, well, they've already made uh, an interesting signing ahead of next season, brought in Alex Grimaldo to play on that left-hand side. And I think under Alonso, if Alonso stays, we assume, uh, he'll be a bit of an assist machine in the Bundesliga. Stinch, we've already had some interesting bets in the side markets. What have you got for us? I don't really like it because it's Jose Mourinho's involved. But I think, <laughs> I mean, I just thought that uh, over two and a half goals looked a big price at... 11 to 10, given the fact that it's a second leg and Leverkusen are going to need to push for something at some point. And because over two and a half goals at 11 to 10, we can actually get over 2.25 goals at 1.97 on the exchange. So you've got a little bit of security there so that if there is only two goals, you only lose half your stake. Obviously, this is the second season since the away goals rule was abolished in, in Europe. And since it was at the beginning of last season, we've had uh, 41 second legs in the Europa League, 111 goals. So that's average of 2.71 per game. The expected goals here to get the prices we've got is 2.4. So I just thought that kind of, you know, backed up my kind of logic, how I thought that this game potentially could play out. And I just think with Leverkusen under Alonso, generally their games are fairly goal heavy it's he's had 34 games in charge 103 goals you know so that's yeah. over three per game and I, I just think with um you know with them attacking from the off i mean they're evens to win so you know they're they're chalked up as if they are um you know the the, the market gives them a 50 percent chance of of winning and if they are going to win, I just I'm not sure I envisage a one nil victory. I think I think they can make the breakthrough b- before the last say 15 minutes. And I think if they do make the breakthrough, though, I don't think they'll then sit back and you know wait for extra time. Essentially, no. I mean it's a lot of um, it's there's a lot of reach in here with with my logic, but I just looking at more of the long term data and the fact you know football matches we tend to look at over two and a half goals. Or over under 2.5 as the main line, so I just think be it the main with the main line being 2.25, I think there's maybe a smidgen of an opportunity to get goals on side. As I say, especially with a team like Leverkusen, who you know will give you a chance at the back and 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 are uh, desperate to to score at some point in this game. Sevilla was seconds away from a famous win in Turin, but had to settle settle for a one-all draw at Juventus as the hosts got a last gasp leveler. Mark. I must admit, I've been down on Sevilla the whole way through. I, I I don't think they're as good a side as they have been in seasons gone by when they've won this competition time and time again. But they're still there. They're still punching. And at home, they are strong. Yeah. Um, 
I was really impressed with Sevilla last week in, in Turin, actually, especially that first half. They absolutely dominated Juve. 12 shots, 5 on target, an XG of 1.67 in the first half alone. They really could and should have been out of sight in that first half. The second half was a different story, and I, I do wonder whether that was a kind of conscious sort of change of tactics to try and protect themselves and play out for the win, or, or was it Juventus upping the ante? And I was very unimpressed by Juve, but Sevilla only managed one shot in the second half before Juve's equaliser in stoppage time. So quite a disappointing outcome for Sevilla. But I think they should be encouraged because they were the better team uh, with the eye test and with the numbers. Uh, Juventus's equaliser kind of gives their XG tally a much healthier look compared to, to what they actually produced because it was basically a tap in from a yard out or a nod in from a yard out. But yeah. for a long, long time, I thought they looked really sort of directionless. I thought they looked impotent. I thought they looked limp. Really wasn't impressed at all. And I think that's always my issue with an Allegri team and Juventus sort of chasing ties, chasing games. It's not really in their sort of profile. They're much more happy controlling matches. And I don't think they get opportunity in Seville. Um, um, you don't want to be just kind of clouded by one match. But yeah, I'm quite happy to be pro-severe in this match because we talked about the rejuvenation under Mendilibar, another big win at the weekend at Valladolid in a match they didn't really need to win. And it's now the start of a really big week for them because they're five points off sixth in La Liga, considering they're in sort of the relegation I mean, battle not long ago. insane, isn't it? It's massive. That is crazy they could make the top six. Astonishing turnaround. But the, the key thing is... Um, on Sunday, they play Betis in the derby and Betis are sixth. So if they were to win the derby, you know, that gap becomes two points with three games to play. So uh, an enormous week. Um, obviously, as you say, this isn't the same old Sevilla of recent years, but as a club, they still retain that mindset, that character, that belief that this is their competition. The fans will whip up a storm on Thursday night. I think they're really dangerous. Um, they're going to be pumped up for this. And some of the numbers around Sevilla in this competition are mind-blowing, actually. They've, they've never lost a two-legged tie in the Europa League when playing at home in the second leg. They've progressed from all nine such occasions. They've won 24 of the last 27 games at home in the Europa <laughs> League, losing just once. Uh, yeah, they're around 2.5 to win this match. Um, so I'm going to take a slightly more pragmatic approach. You can get 178 on Sevilla plus zero, which is the same as draw no bet. Um I'd be surprised if they lost this match, but we can't sort of talk about this without mentioning our old mate, Marcos Acuna, uh, who just yes. continues to deliver the goods <laughs> in the fouls and the cards markets. Um, no referee or market at the time, but you know, I think we know. Doesn't the, matter. We know the Doesn't drill. Doesn't matter. Four fouls in that first leg. Somehow he didn't get a card. I mean, some of the tackles and what he was doing. He is an absolute whopper. But um, you know, he's a good, strong left back on his day. But he makes some brain dead decisions. He just cannot yeah. help himself flying into challenges, being a pest. He's always trying to engage in some sort of confrontation. Um, he's a liability at times, and I think when the stakes are high and he's pumped up, as severe will be, considering the circumstances. Um, yeah, I'm looking at him in the fouls market and the cards market, but I think the cards will be dictated by who the referee is and what the price is, but uh, certainly something fouls-based and possibly severe double chance, something like that, I'll be looking at. Think how hard he must have been to control as a toddler. He, mu <laughs> he must have been a nightmare. Don't touch that, Marcos. Don't do that. No, don't run into the road. What are you doing? No, no, would have been a nightmare. Uh, Stinch, how do we approach this one from your view? Because... If you look at what they did to Manchester United, I know United have, have put in some awful performances away from home, but they look really good. Uh, and El Naziri's playing well. He's been completely revitalised, I think, by that World Cup. And suddenly they are starting to look like a different proposition. 
Yeah, incredible turnaround, really. I think we praised Mendilabar a lot last week with what they've achieved. And yeah, Mark summed it up perfectly. You know, they were in a relegation battle. Now, all of a sudden, in the conversation for, for Europe via the league, which is just incredible. Having said all of that, I think they might have missed their opportunity with that first half, as Mark alluded to. They they could and should have been maybe two goals up. And then it's a long, long way back for Juventus. I'm, I've been with Juventus since the beginning of the knockout stages and I'm decided that I'm not going to desert them despite the fact how well Sevilla have done. I'm just, I'm just going to reach out to Allegri's experience at this level. It's not pretty. But generally, he is very good at getting the, the job done. I mean, if you look at the fact he's won six Serie A's, four Coppa Italia's, and he's reached two Champions League finals, I think he's going to have the edge here in the in the man in the manager battle. You look at Mendelebar. I know I'd say he has done a fantastic job since he's taken over at Sevilla, but it's a very very small sample size. His only real managerial success is winning a Segunda in two thousand and seven. You know, he's been sacked at Bilbao, Valladolid, Osasuna, Levante, Alaves. It's all gone pear-shaped eventually. And he's just not been in this position very often, if not at all. You know, a European semi-final. So just going to back, uh, as Ju- Juventus are outsiders, uh, I'm just going to back Juventus plus a quarter, around about 1.85 on the exchange. So basically we'll get paid out something if they avoid defeat. And yeah, I think this could have the hallmarks of one that goes the, the distance. Emmett, how do you approach this? We've got one for Sevilla, we've got one for Juventus. Which way are you going to take it? No, yeah, I've, I kind of I, I find this very hard to call. It's a bit like uh, a little bit like Crystal Palace in, in, in the Premier League. It's very hard to price a team that has such kind of a rapid improvement. Like Sevilla, the greatest team that's ever lived, Crystal Palace at the moment. It is. I've never seen anything like it. It's amazing. Incredible. Like, but Sevilla have the most points of any team in Spain since Jose Luis Mandelabar took over. Like, more than Barcelona, more than Real Madrid. Like, they've gone from being a team on the verge of relegation to the best team in Spain. So, like, I think that's. It's hard. It is a small sample size, as as Tim said. So you can't. Necessarily, necessarily read too much into it, but one thing we are, I think we can be certain is that Sevilla were a much better team than they showed under Jorge Sampaoli. I think are, are definitely closer to a team that's kind of pushing for Europe than the kind of relegation kind of threatened team that we kind of saw earlier. Mark O'Hare outlined the kind of the, the home numbers for Sevilla, which were incredible. Like the Sanchez Pizuan is one of the most atmospheric grounds in Europe. And I think, I think this is a really difficult game for Juventus. I bush, yeah. I, as but again, I, I I think it's very very hard to split, and the prices look fair. But I think the the bet I like here was kind of the same bet I served as well in the first leg of under two and a half goals at around one point eight in the exchange. Obviously, second leg ties do have a do trend towards overs. Bush, I think with Juventus or Juventus are a different kettle of fish from most teams. Under two and a half goals has clicked thirteen times in Juventus last fifteen matches. I think just the way the tie is set up, it'll be quite cautious. I, I think Sevilla, I don't think will push too hard given the nature of the tie, and I can see this being this to me is the look of maybe kind of a one-all kind of final score that goes to extra time. Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. West Ham have a 2 1 lead to take to Alkmaar as they face RZ. And Stinch, it wasn't a hugely convincing performance from West Ham. 
But I do still think man for man they are the better team. Whether that will matter or not, we'll see. Yeah, they got uh, a helping hand, didn't they, from uh, Mr. Ryan in, in goal, West Ham. And yeah, well, I do agree Just with you. Punch somebody in the face <laughs> and exactly. then complain when the penalty gets given. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you should see perhaps penalties more often for goalkeepers um, clattering yeah. into forwards. Um, it's almost as if, oh, well, at least the, you know, the forward got his shot off. So that's the advantage. Well, no, like <laughs> there's a huge difference between that advantage and being given a penalty. So I think, yeah, maybe... We had one in the Bundesliga at the weekend. Uh, Fabian Bredlow just came out and punched Tapsoba in the face. Didn't get anywhere near the ball and looked absolutely crestfallen when the penalty Pickford got given against similar him. as well, didn't he? On, yeah. on Saturday against, or Sunday against Man City. Effectively punched. Punch people in the head. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I'm a member of the goalkeepers' union, as bad a goalkeeper as I am, but I do think they do need to be reined in a little bit, to be honest. But isn't it incredible that we have VAR, but we don't have, we still don't have consistency with these decisions? Yes, it's just, that's it's very true. Ridiculous. Very true. Anyway, I think West Ham will qualify. They you know they are they are two one up. They are they are ahead in the in the tie. And yeah, I would agree with you. I do think they are uh, player for player better than RZ. But I'm not going to discount RZ completely. Um, you know the match odds are very tight here. RZ slight outsiders of seventeen to ten. Um, but I think I think again I'm going to go back to what I mentioned earlier. I think second legs when you've got a team that's only there's only one goal in it. So I think if it's if it's two goals um, deficit and you know they struggle to find a goal in the first thirty minutes, I think you do sometimes see an element of giving up potentially. Um, but I think with a one-goal deficit, I think that means that overs is is a live runner, and, and it's it's fifty-fifty uh, over under two and a half goals. So I think it's worth getting involved with, especially with RZ. Uh, I don't want to be too lazy and stereotypical, but we know teams from the Eredivisie are quite gung ho. But we also know that that quality is different. It's sometimes difficult to evaluate versus other European teams. But I think what it does mean is they are susceptible defensively. So I think West Ham will get chances on the counter attack here and um, yeah I think it, it could play out a little bit basketball-y as RZ will have to attack at some point. I mentioned obviously the um, away goals rule being abolished at the beginning of last season there's been 42 second legs in the Europa Conference, Conference knockout stage since then and there's been 125 goals so it's 2.98 per game and obviously with a 50-50 over-unders the goal expectancy is 2.7 mentioned that RZ had a couple of offensive players missing last week but uh, over the weekend, they certainly got some shooting practice with a 5-1 victory. So, yeah, I'm not not hugely um, motivated uh, by betting this game. But, yeah, if I had to, I think I would want to back goals. Um, as I say, generally in second legs, you do see an increase on the, the output. So I'm a little bit surprised that Overs is perhaps not favourite here. I make goals the way to go here, do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually quite bullish on this. I was take I was taken aback by how by how big the price was. Like like West Ham, nearly, there's nearly three goals. Um, in Azad matches in the Eredivisie this season, there's there there's been th- they're averaging roughly three goals in their matches. West Ham pretty similar. West Ham created over three expected goals in the first leg. Like. All, all, and and given the kind of the higher kind of goal expectancy in in second legs, all all of the, all of those packed factors would would lead me to believe this should be closer to maybe one sixty six, and you're getting you're, you're getting close to even. So I think it's excellent better. Mark full house or something else? No full house. Um, 
I was disappointed with RZ last week, I have to say. Um, they sort of looked to go there and try and frustrate and try and get something out of the game and didn't really play their, their usual game. Tried to break up play and take the sting out of the occasion. West Ham weren't very good. West Ham were nowhere near as good as they can be, especially after beating Man United. They looked a bit flat and leggy at times. That's understandable, but they did look dangerous when Ben Rama, Antonio and Bowen sort of dovetailed between the three of them. And yeah, as Emmett says, almost three expected goals. I know that includes a penalty, but um, they only conceded four shots in the box from RZ. And, uh, you know, RZ have to be much more front foot this time around, which I expect them to be. As Dinch said, a big win at the weekend, 20 shots in the box. We know that they can be that front foot proactive team. They can be dangerous. So I suspect we'll see a very different RZ this time around. But West Ham had the quality to deal with them and, and score goals themselves. Moyes made seven changes at the weekend. Clearly, this is the priority now. Uh, a first trophy since 1980 for West Ham is is on the agenda and second legs traditionally are high scoring. So, yeah, very surprised to pick them uh, in terms of an over-under. The line is is where it's at. But um, just another one. Haven't got prices, obviously. Haven't got a referee. But Geordie Classy for a card potentially here. Uh, six fouls he gave away in the quarterfinal second leg with Anderlecht. Uh, only two players have committed more fouls for RZ in the Eredivisie. He's 10 yellows across all competitions. Uh, was booked for, for mouthing off last week in the first leg, was booked in the second leg versus Anderlecht, has three yellows in five Conference League matches too. Um, he will be in the middle of it for RZ uh, if they try to sort of uh, batten down the hatches and pick up a result. So, yeah, expect to see a, a hopefully a nice price there. And finally, shock win for Basel at Fiorentina last week. Emmett's got to say the Swiss side played surprisingly well considering they've been largely rubbish in their own domestic league. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. I think uh, I'd actually I, I'd had a bet on Fiorentina for, for, for the for the outright before the game, so it wasn't wasn't quite what I was hoping for, and it wasn't one of these kind of fluke 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 kind of two ones. I think I think Basel it was a pretty even game, and, and you, you couldn't say Basel really didn't deserve it that much. Had a goal uh, ruled out from Arsenal yeah. offside as well, didn't they? Yeah, so I like I, and Fiorentina basically being price like a bit of a like like last week was a total outlier which 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 it may have been i think probably fiorentina are a bit better than that but i couldn't i i couldn't back them at their current price of around 183 after after watching i i think i think i think, think, think they'll go close but i think they're they're fairly unbackable here i'd be yeah, I, I wouldn't have a strong play i'm kind of kind of waiting to see how, how it transpires and hope hoping fiorentina do, 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 do the business for my outright bet yeah, Stinch is an interesting one, this, because you look at Basel, they've obviously saved their best performances for this competition. They were able to knock out Nice. Not many people saw that coming necessarily. And Fiorentina, I guess sometimes the the weight of the occasion can crush players, and it certainly seemed to last week. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've written down here Fiorentina's volatility. Um, yeah. two to five to to win last week and obviously lost. And then uh, we remember in the round before they won the first leg four one away at Lech Poznan. They were three nil down in the oh, yeah, in were. the second leg in massive <laughs> trouble. So yeah, I think uh, goals is on the uh, agenda again. It's uh, four to six for over two and a half goals. So I wouldn't be backing that. But I I think if you throw in both teams to score, which is also four to six, you know you get a price close to evens. And I, again, you know because there there's a team Team that's um, a one-goal deficit, I believe. From the off, they'll they'll be attacking and looking to force things. And yeah, I just think it does create this back and forth that we talk about with in terms of sort of basketball-esque matches. And um, yeah, as we've touched upon a couple of times already, we generally second legs we see a, a higher amount of goals. So I think that's quite a good way to sort of turn kind of the four to six into into a backable price. 
And Mark, which way would you go with this one? Um, I'd be looking in the, the sort of props markets. I didn't see the full 90 minutes. I've only been able to catch the highlights of this match. But um, one thing that I thought was quite noticeable, I know Basel's first goal came from quite a slick counter-attack, but they looked incredibly dangerous from set pieces. And uh, Taulent Xhaka, uh, Granite's brother, was putting in some really beautiful balls from the right-hand side, really wicked deliveries, which you know Fiorentina looked all at sea defending them. So across the 90 minutes, he created five chances and had one assist. So I'd be quite interested to see his quotes for an assist when they do come out. Um, because you look at the prices, Fiorentina, odds-on favourites to win in Switzerland. Um, yet both teams to score is 1.7 and overs, as Sinch says, is, is sub 1.7. So the market is expecting Fiorentina to win, but also Basel to contribute to the to, to the scoring. So as big outsiders, I thought that might be quite interesting. But looked in the goal scorer market, we haven't got prices just yet. But you look across the market. Uh, Basel centre-half, Kasim Nuhu-Adams, um, is around 16-1 to 1 to score at any time. And that's a big, big price. Guy. Big price for a big guy who's a big presence in the box. Uh, 1 metre 90, came close to scoring in that first leg, has scored against Nice in this competition in the quarters. He's now got two goals in his last five starts. He will be a target from some of those dead ball situations. And if you want the, the sort of Hollywood price, he's 50-1 to 1 to score the first goal. Um now, Fiorentina, as I said, did look rattled defending those balls into the box. And um, Basel actually ranks second best in Switzerland for XG generated from set-piece situations. So it's something that they're pretty good at. So, yeah, that's what I was looking at, just for a couple of big prices to cheer on. This is one of your situations where uh, you say, oh, Xhaka, any time assist. I think that's going to be good when the market comes to, comes out. And Emmett goes, yeah, Xhaka, <laughs> two to five for an any time assist. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. All of the games that we've talked about, by the way, will get their own previews on our website, betting.betfair.com. Of course, we'll have our usual weekend previews later in the week from Emmett from Mark from Stinch and from me it's goodbye for now